Did you know 663 million people live without clean drinking water every day? That's nearly one in 10. Let me tell you about my friends at FNX. FNX can solve all your health, nutrition, and supplement needs because they are first class in making their products so you can be at your best. Whether you're a CrossFit freak, bodybuilder, or just mom and dad making it a point twice per week, FNX will elevate your game. I have been using FNX and I feel and see the difference. The protein, delicious. My workouts, way more intense. And my energy, there all day. Try it for yourself. Visit fnxfit.com. Use code 4C15. That's 4C15 for 15% off each order. What's more, every time you make a purchase, a child in need receives one gallon of clean drinking water. FNX has donated over 100,000 gallons of clean drinking water. Make your mark today. Welcome into the podcast. We are coming to you on the last Monday of November. Before we flip the calendar to December, it's going to be the final month, final full month of the NFL season. Hard to believe we're already there, but we also have uh, free agent hot stove action. We got teams going bananas, specifically in New York and in the Texas Fort Worth area. Two major market teams spending lavishly, as well as the Miami Marlins, the low-budget fish. Uh, they're shelling out some cash, uh, some serious cash, and it's driving the headlines. But we will certainly dive into football this week. And it's not going to be the NFL as much as it's going to be college football. They dominated the airwaves. You know we're more of a pro league here on this podcast, but when USC makes a splash like they did on Sunday. They they overrode the NFL with the hiring of Lincoln Riley from the Sooners. I was watching that Saturday game of the Sooners and Cowboys, the Oklahoma, Oklahoma State game, thinking that, you know, while Oklahoma took the loss there, that Lincoln Riley is a heck of a coach and how he gets his guys ready to play, the different football that he plays offensively. But he's now going to the Trojans, something that you couldn't even fathom just about 48 hours ago, but here we are, and the Trojans have a new face, a new face leading their program, and there's going to be a lot of recruits in high school decommitting and transferring to L.A. So we'll touch on that. We'll touch on the NFL Week 12, stock up, stock down, and, of course, the free agent spending in baseball. It's Episode 64 of the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. While it is a different sport, one thing that I took away from this Lincoln Riley hire is that when teams are quiet, whether it's a college or university, an NFL franchise, an MLB franchise, and you're hiring a new head coach or manager or executive, people tend to get a little suspicious and a little worried if things are quiet. If you're not hearing, much activity out of the ownership or the general manager, whomever is doing the hiring, they tend to get worried. It's a sign of concern if you're not hearing any activity, if you're not hearing of any candidates that they're considering, it's a bad thing. What I've come to believe, and I remember this with the Philadelphia Phillies when they landed Dave Dombrowski, he's constructed multiple 
World Series championship clubs and World Series teams uh, from three different MLB teams. The Phillies landed Dombrowski after he said no. He said no, he wanted to oversee the expansion team that uh, Nashville, that Tennessee, is looking to land from MLB when they expand to 31 or 32 teams. He said, no thanks, Philadelphia. I'm focused on this. Philadelphia wouldn't, wouldn't budge. They were prepared to make an offer that Dombrowski could not refuse. And so it, it, it was not, there was not much activity beyond Dombrowski even after he said no. This reminds me, this USC hire, and that the Trojans were not going to be denied. And I'm not saying every team should take this approach, but when things are quiet of your favorite team, that's usually a sign of good things to come. It's a sign that this franchise or this team is focused on one singular person, and it's usually a big swing. And maybe there's sometimes that you don't hit a home run, but at least you're swinging for the fences. Lincoln Riley, absolute grand slam. He oversaw a program in Oklahoma that was built by several other individuals. Bob Stoops obviously worked wonders, bringing that national title in 2000. Before him, Barry Switzer. Oklahoma's going to be just fine. That's what they do down there in Oklahoma. There's no no other show in town in Norman, Oklahoma, o- Oklahoma other than the Sooners. They're going to be okay. But what he realized is that in the SEC, I'm going against guys like Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Jimbo Fisher. Dan Mullen obviously is outed, but LSU national brand. Why not just jump ship? Something that I didn't even get to sign off on in the first place as far as the Sooners leaving the Big 12 to the SEC. Why not just go out west and be the king out in a smaller pond? I think this is a fantastic move, one that you certainly didn't see coming. He's not; He doesn't have any West Coast ties, but there are going to be tons and tons of players that decommit and choose to go to USC now that Lincoln Riley is there. I, I think that this is one of just a couple of things that dominated the college football weekend. Watching that Big Ten, Michigan, Ohio State game really brought back some memories of the 2006, 2007, 8, 2009, back when college football was really humming. It was much more competitive then, and Michigan really rose up. You have to think, while it's not going to be easy, it is possible that they could make a run to the title game and win the national championship. First, they got to get in. This was a huge check mark uh, in passing that off. Now they got to get in by the committee. But you have to think that they have a legitimate shot. Again, not easy, but legitimate shot to uh to win the title Oklahoma State beat the Sooners on Saturday evening I watched every snap of that football game pretty compelling case as far as how the Cowboys ended the season it's reminiscent of the heyday of college football in 2006 through about 2010 right before Alabama just started taking over the league and it became really top heavy with them Ohio State and Clemson hopefully this is a sign of things turning once again, creating a more uh, even league. And then hopefully the next step there for college football is creating an 18 playoff. That'll create much bigger football games. I'm not saying it's going to be much more competitive. A number eight seed topping a number one seed. Maybe you would see that in theory over a couple years. In most cases, the number eight team, they're going to get smashed by number one, seven versus two, same case. But overall, it's going to place 
huge marquee games from big-time programs against other big-time programs that otherwise wouldn't face each other in the conference uh, that they're respectively in. So I think this is a good sign. This is the tip of the iceberg, hopefully, of things to come with college football. What a weekend. What a hire by USC. College football was front and center this weekend. Now, while things are definitely all smiles with the Trojans in USC, the Dodgers, on the other hand, things not so good. You had Max Scherzer and Corey Seager leave their team, and also Max Muncie has a torn UCL, so he's going to have to get his elbow reconstructed. Those are three major players from their 2021 team that they will have to replace, so not good for the Dodgers, but great for the New York Mets, the Texas Rangers, Mega, mega cash shelled out. The Mets signed Max Scherzer to a $130 million contract over three years. That's going to be $43 million on average, in addition to Eduardo Escobar, Matt Khanna, and, of course, Starling Marte, the best center fielder on the market. Steve Cohen, I said it upon his hire, it is so, so big that there's a personality in ownership in Major League Baseball It creates conflict. It creates interest. It creates engagement amongst the fans. When you have a guy on Twitter and even speaking out during the season about games and the state of the team, it creates interest in baseball. Jerry Jones is the only owner to talk after each and every week during the NFL season. George Steinbrenner used to be emotionally reactive during the season. And he would speak during the season about how the team was performing. Al Davis, even in the NFL, no matter the sport, if your owner is engaged, even if he's ambivalent, even if he reacts on a whim, that's okay. It's good because then the fans are really, really engaged and care about what's going on with their team. They already do, even if you have a boring owner. But when you have an owner that is out there, it's great for Major League Baseball, even if he is a cuckoo. It, it really doesn't matter. And Steve Cohen, he's shelling out money. He's tweeting out his thoughts, whether it's Steven Matz and his uh, and his uh, agent reneging on their agreement with Mets and their executives and how they were uh, you know, nailing out a deal. It's been great to watch the Mets and what they're doing. And I'm happy to see that they're getting better as a team. I legitimately think, even though you signed three 33-year-olds in Escobar and and Kana, and Marte, you got better as a team. Overall, that's a lot of cash. But individually, I think they all got pretty fair deals and may have settled a little bit in going to New York. I really do. I think Escobar, switch hitter, makes him better defensively. Marte, gold glover, obviously makes him better defensively. Kana, his defensive versatility, it's going to make that lineup maneuvering whoever manages this club, that's the next point of order, It's going to make it a lot easier defensively knowing that they're going to perform at a higher level and flexibility also in the lineup left and right with Escobar being a switch hitter. Not to mention, they're all top performers. So you add in Max, another huge run suppressor. I still think he can go seven, eight innings deep, even though he's going to be uh, 37 years of age next year in 2022. He does not have a whole lot of mileage on his arm from his 20s. Overall, I think this is an arm that can still pitch deep into the games and live out the the life of the contract as someone that performed at an elite level. So the Mets are spending big. I think they're going to get big time results. Now, down to Texas and the Rangers. My goodness. I mean, 
it's not a surprise, but they got two of the shortstops, the two of the top five shortstops on the market. First, they got Marcus Simeon, who, because of the subsequent signing of Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon is going to play second base. $175 million over five years. That's 35 per, along with Corey Seager getting 325 over 10. Marcus Simeon was my top free agent, regardless of club, on the market. I think even though he's going to be 32 years of age, he can play second base. He can shift over to first base. Overall, seven years for 175, I think it's going to be a bargain. I think the guy has tremendous grit, tremendous grit. The way Bob Melvin, now the manager of the Padres, used to formulate Coach Simeon on the A's, the way he talked about Marcus Simeon, his preparation, the way he would play hurt, his dedication to his routine to be available for 162 games. This is a culture changer in Texas, and I think he's going to play well over the life of the contract. He's not going to be a shortstop. He'll be second base for a couple of years, then maybe he has to shift to first base. But with Corey Seager slotted in there, the Rangers are going to be great. And while I like Corey Seager, his contract is a little bit much for me. He's only played 157 games once over a seven-year career. So I don't like $325 million over 10. 10 years for a guy who really hasn't played all that much baseball since he entered the major leagues, all things considered, I know he's played well. He's played superb at some points during his career. I, I like the player. I like the get for Texas. I don't like the length of the contract overall. But you add in uh, John Gray, another arm who definitely is a candidate for a, a change of scenery. Coming out of Colorado, this was a big arm from, as we mentioned earlier, the the Sooners, Oklahoma. He was a draft pick 2013, their first round pick out there in Colorado for that draft. He never really lived up to expectations, but he always had that big arm, huge arm, and, and had tantalizing potential, but he just never really put it all together outside of a couple of years. I think it was in 17 when the Rockies were making their run in the postseason with with Buddy Black. He had a great year, but beyond that, never put it all together. But if you're telling me you're going to have him now in a dome park, $56 million over four years, I'll definitely sign up for that because he has pitched at length. He's pitched at supreme level. Now we got to see if he can do it after consistently getting on a 30-start schedule, uh, not at altitude. So you add in the fact that they also have Cole Calhoun, one of my favorite players, since uh, you know he really entered the league, I think he's just a professional at bat. He gives you some pop. He works deep into counts. He knows situational hitting. Again, just another professional at bat that's going to affect the lineup in teaching other hitters how to take a pro AB, but also just situational hitting and not leaving runs out there on the base pass. So the Mets, the Rangers, huge, huge weeks. And I think both are going to win a lot more games because they were active early in free agency. Looking at Kevin Gosman and his highlights here in the background as uh, as I record, his split finger fastball, one of the best pitches in baseball. Another guy that just needed a change of scenery. He was in Baltimore growing up on those young Oriole teams uh, in the early 2010s, um, along with like Bud Norris and even Jake Arrieta. Baltimore back in the day, they used to clone pitchers, and it really messed with the nature, the organicness of each of their pitchers' mechanics. Now that he's kind of at the turn uh, of his career here in the second half, he's putting it all together, and now he lands a big deal with the Blue Jays. Five years, over $110 million, 
along with him and Jose Barrios, who is extended for $131 million. Rangers also have the pitching that they need, and you know they're going to be a force to be reckoned with out there in the AL East. Another guy that came to terms earlier today was Robbie Ray with the Mariners. That's one I do not like. I think it's a little Rick Porcello-ish in the sense that he won the Cy Young Award. Obviously, great strikeout rate, historic strikeout rate, but... I feel like he's one injury battle away, one injury next year in 2022 where he's got to go out there and pitch for his team because he's earning all that money. If he's not at 100%, I don't think he can pitch all that well. And obviously the logic there is, well, what guy can pitch well when he's not feeling great? Those are your aces. Not only do they provide length, they can pitch hurt, they can pitch injured and still maintain their level or get close enough to their level. Those are the guys like the Adam Wainwrights, the Chris Carpenters, even the Clayton Kershaws, um, the Zach Rankies. When you don't have your best stuff, whether that's because you don't have the feel or because you're injured, can you maintain high level? I don't think I really like Robbie Ray betting on this one year. He had an excellent season. Hats off to him. $23 million over five. The Mariners signed him. Jerry Depato. Yeah, I would guess by year three, Mariners with dealer Depato. He's going to ship off Robbie Ray before the life of this contract. But I definitely wanted to get to the free agent market of shortstop. So we got the remaining three here. And that's going to be Correa, Carlos, Carlos Correa, uh, obviously at the middle of all the Astros scandal. Uh, He's probably my second favorite player among the big five. So my first was going to be Marcus Simeon. He's now gone. Uh, But then it's going to be Carlos Correa, Trevor Story, um, or excuse me, uh, 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 Corey Seager, then Trevor Story, and Javi Baez. Since the two of those are gone, we'll focus on Correa. I think the best thing for him is to return to Houston. He likes Houston. I don't think he has, um, he he doesn't need to top out on the richest contract. I, I don't know why he would have an ego. I think for him, it is about fit. It is about comfort. Why not just return to Houston? They have the cash. You know what's going on there. They have the need. And they're built to win now. And they're built to win for the foreseeable future. They have more prospects coming. Their farm system is pretty good. And you got Alex Bregman right there with you. You have Jose Altuve right there with you. And now Justin Verlander is back in the mix. Another guy that's going to pitch well as he ages because he's a smart pitcher. And he's taking care of himself. And he's really rebounded and found his form, I think the best place for him is going to be Houston. Trevor Story, now that Texas is ruled out, really is confounding in the sense that the New York Yankees want to add a shortstop, but Story is right-handed, so I don't know about that. Xander Bogarts is going to have an opt-out clause after the 2022 season. He's a really good shortstop and a really good player, probably better than Trevor Story. Are you really, if you're Boston, going to ask him to switch positions by bringing in Story now? I just don't know if I see that. And while Philadelphia, they have the need at shortstop, it's going to be pretty risky adding a contract of that length on top of all the other contracts that you already have, especially when you need to add to your rotation and to the bullpen. It would be great to add to your lineup, but you really have other pressing needs that I think you need to cover first with a pretty good offense already in place. So the Mariners could look to add someone especially with Kyle Seager at third base being off the market. I, I know DePato really likes J.P. Crawford and him at second base, so Story's going to have to be willing to play third base 
If it's something he's open to, it obviously casts a wider net of teams. But from a shortstop perspective, he is seeing himself now in a bit of a bind. Do the Mets, if they're already looking to shell out cash, are they now in on story by default because he's he's the the next one uh, left? I mean, Baez is someone that they know that uh, can play well. He played really well down the stretch. He turned it on after he was traded from the Cubs, but he had those comments about the fans. I, I, I just don't see New York really re-upping with Javi Baez unless it is for a pillow contract of maybe one year. So best fit, just talking myself into it here, is probably going to be the New York Mets for Trevor Story, Javi Baez. I say he should just go back to the Cubs. He's beloved. They love him there. They love the way he plays with panache. Uh, he plays with energy. And it's a place that he's comfortable with. I don't see him playing in an uncomfortable situation. He is someone that should not go to the highest bidder. He needs someone that definitely needs to go to a place where he has structure. He has a manager that will back him because there are theatrics. There are moody situations with Javi. When he is on, it's as good as anyone, but he is streaky. That's why comfort is going to be key. As I record this here on Monday evening, we have breaking news from Jesse Rogers. I guess I shouldn't call it breaking news. It's uh, it's more of a report. It is a report. He's talking about the CBA and how there's a proposal out there by Major League Baseball to include 14 teams in the postseason, seven from each league, and to make the playoffs a system in which the top team in each league, National League and American League, get a first round bye. And then the other division winners from the three other divisions in each league, they then get to choose who they get to play out of the wild card winners. So that's something that off the top of my head, I do not like at all. It seems quirky, seems gimmicky, and it seems like a desperate ploy from Major League Baseball to drum up interest in the game. And I think that the the real solution here, because it's, it's an obvious um, reaction to the root of tanking. You, you want teams to be incentivized to win, but when, when you add more teams to it, and water it down in the sense that, you know, a team could sneak into the playoffs with a 500 record. Like a lot of teams aren't, aren't going to build for a 500 team. I, I just don't think that's going, that's going to decentivize them to do that. Knowing that, well, yeah, we make the playoffs, but we're going to get crushed uh, in the playoffs. Even if we advance, we, we have no real legitimate shot. So why would we spend in trades and in free agency only to be, you know, outed, by the Yankees or the Dodgers. Uh, they'll choose to play us, and you know then the season's over. So I think it's a bad reaction. It's a bad thing for Major League Baseball to put out there because this is going to get laughed um, <laughs> laughed down the road. And, and, and I think, you know really, they need to come up with a system here that incentivizes teams to spend. And I, I don't think this playoff format uh, is the best way to do it. I think really more than anything, more than anything, there needs to be a floor. Do not have a uh, a salary cap system. That is what ca- has kept baseball at peace as far as labor peace is allowing teams to spend freely like the New York Mets have done. But you do have to create a floor. And I think that it should be independent to each team's market. So the Rays should not have to spend as much as the Yankees do or even as much as the Cardinals do. All three different levels of market there. The Yankees being the highest, Cardinals being middle of the pack, Rays being near the bottom. You do have to have a floor, though. 
you do have to have a floor, and I think that it will create much more competitiveness so it's not a race to the bottom in that top five because that's all that tanking is really good for. If you're not within that top five pick, if you're not within the top five picks, rather, excuse me, then really tanking has no use because outside of the top five picks in the amateur draft for Major League Baseball, yeah, I mean, it's really a crapshoot. You don't know what you're getting. And even within the top five, you know, you, you can look at Mark Appel. You can look at uh, uh, what Bush. Remember Bush, the, the guy with the, the Rays that was like a drug addict and alcoholic, later went on to revive his career with the Rangers, but really he's just another guy. There's plenty of guys that within the top five picks, you just never pan out. So tanking really isn't a good idea to begin with. I know the Cubs... I know the Astros, they had success stories. You know what they also had? Hall of Fame general managers, Theo Epstein, Jeff Lunau. Jeff Lunau would be a Hall of Famer if he you know, wasn't the general manager of a team that decided to bang on trash cans. Those guys are really sharp guys. You know what rebuilds are not working out? The Orioles, the Phillies. Think about how long it took the Padres to get back to relevancy. It was like a six-year rebuild. That's not something you want to do. That's something you do if you have to. They had to rip those franchises to the studs because it was that bad in Houston and Chicago. There was nothing to build off of. So yeah, you trade off anybody worth their uh, salt on the major league roster and you get something back for them. But you look at teams like the Mariners. They didn't do a full full bore uh, rebuild. The Yankees, of course, didn't do that back in 2016. Uh, the Rangers, yeah, they've been crummy, but... You know, they, they didn't rip it to the studs. Even the um, even the Milwaukee Brewers, when David Stearns took over, uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks have treaded water and they've made the postseason a couple times. There are solutions to not ripping it down. And, and I think that while it is a problem, it's a bit overstated by the media. I do think they need to get the teams to quit vying for that top five pick. But overall, baseball, the tanking issue not as big of a deal. Just get the teams that are low market teams willing to go that route because they have a lot to gain out of the top five picks. Incentivize them not to do it by creating a floor. Give them more international signing bonus so they can get more Latin players and the field will be even and we'll have more competitive teams in Major League Baseball. Appreciate everybody listening. Didn't talk much. Didn't talk any NFL here this podcast. Baseball was dominating the headlines. A lot of free agent talk, labor talk, college football was front and center. Not, I mean, I watched, you know, some of the NFL. I had to watch in the car on the way home from Chicago after celebrating Thanksgiving with Ms. Taylor and their family. So caught most of the games. Biggest takeaways, New England's the best team in the AFC. They're the most complete team. They're going to avoid mistakes. And as the weather turns, they're going to be playing football that's conducive towards December and January. So I like New England. Green Bay, the best team in the NFC. They dismantled the Rams. The Rams, they have issues. It's not going to cost them. They're not going to miss the playoffs because of it. But Matthew Stafford, he's obviously playing hurt. He's thrown three pick sixes, which I know. Matt Schaub, Texans, everybody's talking about it. Some of those are fluky. They're going to be fine. They're still a high-octane offense. Odell's got to get more immersed in the playbook. I think the defense definitely has to toughen up. They're a little too much 
you know, a little more bark than bite. They got to get more gritty on the defensive line, and they got to get back to running the football. The Rams are going to be okay. In the NFC, though, the Bucks big statement win against an ascending Indianapolis team. They're not dead. Frank Reich's always going to have his team ready to play. But I do think the Sunday night game, Ravens, Browns, Baker Mayfield, it's done. It's over. This guy talks too much. He's too big of a headache. Do you really want to give $35 million to a guy who gets upset every time something's said about him? I don't. You don't play well enough for that, man. You're, you're, you're a big system quarterback. And you have a place in this league. You really do. I, I would take it if I was the 25th to you know 30th team in the league or 32nd team in the league. I really would. But I'm not paying you $35 million. You don't deserve it. And I know his wife wants to tweet about how he's playing hurt. Yeah, welcome to the NFL. You play hurt. And Lamar Jackson threw five interceptions. You look at Baltimore in their offense since week six, they suck. They can't score. And yeah, I know there's injuries. And I know he doesn't have a legitimate number one receiver. A lot of guys don't have a legitimate number one wide receiver. Welcome to the NFL. Those don't grow on trees. Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincinnati. I mean, are they going to take this division? I know I kind of wrote them off as just pretenders a few weeks ago. I think they can beat anybody on any given day, but they are an incomplete team. I don't know. All of a sudden, maybe they can take the division in the AFC North. So in the NFL, watch some games. Enjoyed it. Biggest takeaways, Major League Baseball, college football. They took away this podcast, episode 64. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.